a Tricky Kid Media original presentation distributed by iHeartRadio. Welcome to Tricky Kid Radio, where the past and the future meet the present for a fun mix of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, hosted by filmmaker and DJ Roy Turner. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to a very special uh, edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I'm very excited to bring this to you. I I was going to do this earlier. I had a lot of things going on, but what we're going to be talking about this week is all things 1991. And this will actually mark the first time I'm doing an all 90s show. Some of you all have been been enjoying uh, my all 80s stuff where we take an entire year of the 1980s and we talk about everything that happened that year that pretty much, you know, we still talk about and or uh, like a bit of a personal uh, people's history. So, I mean, anybody can just pull up a Wikipedia page and go, oh, you know, all that shit happened in 1984. But I put you on the ground. If you were around that time, you can relate to it. If you weren't, you can learn something and enjoy that as well. So uh, let me give you a bit of a a roadmap so you can kind of understand my motivation and my inspiration behind doing this. Uh, This might sound a little crazy, (laughs) a little far-fetched, but but help me out here and follow along. So in my mind, when you're younger, like I know what 1986 feels like what it looks like it has a color i could assign it a you know its own you know what i mean it has its own own thing but as you get older it becomes a little a little less defined a little less a little little more blurry so i i don't know there was some time around i started the podcast in 2015 and i guess it was uh, as i was trotting along there i realized that like i think like 1983 uh, which is a very important year for me, was like, had you know, 35 years had gone by. So I did like an 83 episode. And then uh, next thing you know, it's, you know, it's 30 years of 1989, a couple of years ago. So we did a 1989 episode. So I thought, man, wouldn't this be so great that now at the turn of a new decade uh, in 2020, See, I thought the word gets a little confusing, right? Because like, if this was still like the '70s or the '80s or the '90s, but once it got to be 2000, what do you call that? And we almost forget that like 2000 and 2010s are separate decades, like the '70s and the '80s, and the 2000, 2000s, 2010s, and 2020s are also that's three separate decades. But for some reason, because of the 2000 thing, it all seems to be the same. So. That's part of the motivation. And now that we're in the 20s, that kind of gives it a bit of a, of a familiar tone, doesn't it? So anyway, so what I'm getting at is this, is that so it, to me, 2020 is 1980. It's 40 years later. So that's why we did a 1980 episode. So now we can just start at the very beginning. So we did that. And then this year, we're going to do 1981 because of 2021. But... 
I had thought, well, gosh, you know, last year was also, it's like 30 years from 1990. That was a pretty pivotal year, you know? Am I really going to wait 10 years to talk about the 90s? Hell no, we're going to do it now. So, so this season, uh, again, welcome, because this is uh, most likely going to be the season premiere. I don't know yet, I have to talk to the producers, but for, for all intents and, uh, intents and purposes, this will be the season premiere. And I hope everybody had a great summer. Uh, but you see what I'm getting at? So this year we're going to do, like last year we did 1980. This year we're going to do 1981. And we're also going to do 1991. And this is the 1991 episode. And I really wish I'd done a 1990, but I just, I'll leave a little something. So I think moving forward, like next year we'll do 82. And, oh man, I can't wait to do that one. And, uh, and 92. Both very pivotal years of my life. I turned 18 in 92. And I can't wait for y'all to hear the 1981 episode. My gosh, everything that I've ever loved ever seemed to have began that year. From Motley Crue to Van, H uh, sorry, from Motley Crue to Metallica to the Beastie Boys to MTV. So that's going to be a great, great episode. I hope you guys will tune into. So, uh, hey man, let's go ahead and just jump right into it. 1991. Uh, I was I turned 17 uh, in March. And that fall, I would have, I would have uh, began my senior year. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, um, apparently, my immaturity had some different plans, but uh, I, I digress, and we'll get into that a little bit too. So, again, we're not just going to just click off a bunch of facts that happened um, to relive 1991. We're also going to, you know, get into some people's history, and I would love to know your memories of of 1991. If you were five, you might remember that it was the debut of the Rugrats. If you were 15. You probably remember the uh, the debut, really, of of, of never of, of Nirvana. Uh, if you were God twenty five, hopefully you didn't get drafted because <laughs> we all know what happened. That good one's going to be a long one, and we're going to have a great time. So anyway, uh, take your medication, uh, hit the restroom, get something to drink, and kick back because we're doing all things nineteen ninety one. Tricky Kid Radio is distributed by iHeartRadio and is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Google Play Store. Subscribe for free on the iHeartRadio app or on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to Tricky Kid TV on YouTube.com for a stunning visual look at all the fun we have here, plus exclusive content, short films, and more. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle, at TrickyKid2. Type Tricky Kid Radio Podcast on Facebook and DJ Tricky Kid on Instagram. Speaking of which, subscribe now to Roy Turner's alter ego DJ Tricky Kid's amazing Twitch channel at twitch.tv for retro gaming, exclusive DJ sets, as well as DJ instruction and live streaming of Tricky Kid Radio, where you, the audience, can participate and interact with our guests. Don't miss a single stream, so you can be up to date on the latest on all things Tricky Kid. Subscribe now at twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. 1991, year two in the 90s. 91 would be a time when Saddam Hussein would feel the wrath of coalition aircraft. A king would be beaten in front of a shocked country. We're going to talk about the news, culture, sports and entertainment, and all that was weird in the 90s. Hey folks, Steve Y here, sunny Southern California, and you are listening to Roy Turner on Tricky Kid Radio, so turn it up. Okay, so you know, 
Okay, so now we're rolling into October. And uh, a couple of things. Uh, let's see here. MT Productions was formed, uh, which one of their first things was Liquid Television, of course, which gave birth to Beavis and Butthead a few years later, uh, as well as Eon Flux. That was a, a, a cool deal. I used to really enjoy that. Uh, Jennifer Lopez uh, joins as the, uh, in Living Color as one of the Fly Girls. And politically, of course, this was also where you were hearing the Clarence Thomas trials all day long. And then I was glad to see justice served there. Uh, and also that October, Bill Clinton uh, seeks the nomination for the Democratic candidate, which, of course, he obviously went on to win. And that was a big deal for us being from Arkansas because, you know, we all we we long knew who Bill Clinton was. So it was just kind of like, you know, we're from that state that people call a flyover state and, you know, we get no recognition. So now that the governor of the state, the entire time I lived there, uh, was now on the national stage, that was kind of a, that was a big deal. We couldn't help but kind of, you know, part of us was kind of like rooting. But I also remember Bill Clinton not having the greatest reputation whenever uh, we did live there. So a lot of Arkansans were like, oh, God, this fucker again. But uh glad to see him actually win and uh i mentioned earlier too uh about the the, the teenage mutant ninja turtle movies with you know vanilla ice and the vanilla uh was the ninja rap well by october vanilla ice not quite as much like per prince and purple rain but he had his own movie called cool as ice which was about as cool as you could imagine <laughs> and birthed this term that everybody seemed to say but me and my friends with little to no self-awareness yeah we'll see about that oh yeah cat words of wisdom drop that zero and get with the hero and speaking of prince uh it we now are celebrating the 30th anniversary of diamonds and pearls now I'll be talking way much more about this on our print show, which is called Prince the Encore. Again, I hope you're subscribing. It's free. It's awesome. We do it once a month. We've had lots and lots of, of guests within the Prince world. We just had Jill Jones. Maya McLean is coming up, one half of the twins, uh, and many, 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 many more stuff coming up. Wow, we did the whole thing with Welcome to America. Uh, the estate has been flirting with uh, the idea of maybe a 30th anniversary release. I know that the, the, the Prince Twitter world was up in arms and and seemed like it was a bit anticlimactic. But again, those people got nothing but time on their hands, it appears, because uh, <laughs> as much as I love Prince, you know, again, I, we already got the, the, the box set last year. I'm not going to be brokenhearted in my life and happiness isn't conditional based upon that. Like to see it, you know, like to see everybody else happy, but... Uh, you know, I'm sure something cool is coming and we're going to do a whole thing as well. So uh, I wanted to mention that the song Money Doesn't Matter Tonight. Diamonds and Pearls was never one of my favorites. Before we sell into the last two months of 1991, I wanted to take a take a just a step back and talk about a few other different things that kicked off the year 1991. And that's in the world of Major League Baseball. Uh, on January 7th, Pete Rose was released from Marion Federal Prison after serving five-month sentence for tax evasion. Um, I am somebody who is a Pete Rose champion, and not just because I the 1980 Phillies. If you could see my office right now, it is a shrine to that team. It was the first 
World Series I ever saw on television, and I saw it from a hospital bed. I caught scarlet fever uh, as a six-year-old, uh, and they were they got me through it, man. They were giants, gods to me, still are. Favorite player of all time is Mike Schmidt. But I love Pete Rose, man. Yes, he should not have bet on baseball. Yes, he's an asshole. Yes, there are many, many things. I just actually finished reading his book that came out many years ago that I got for my birthday this year called like My Own Prison, whatever. Um, yeah, the guy's a dick. <laughs> but he turned 80 and he's still kicking, and he absolutely deserves to be in the baseball hall in the in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, without question. You don't gotta hang out with a guy, but his contributions to baseball are sound and unfortunately uh, about a month later the 12 members of the board of directors of the hall of fame unanimously voted to bar him from the ballot and it's been that way for 30 years and they should correct that um the day after pete got out rod carew gaylord perry and ferguson jenkins are all elected to the hall of fame by the baseball writers association of america and rod carew was the 22nd player to be named in his first year of eligibility i cannot say enough i could do a, this whole show from about rod carew and my fandom for him and he is so amazing and currently one of my favorite people to follow on twitter is rod carew follow rod on on twitter just a good dude just spreading facts and fun and telling stories. It's like having like, you know, I never really, my parents, uh, my mom was adopted by an older couple, so I never knew her parents. And my dad's grand, uh, my dad's parents died at a, uh, when I was pretty young. So I had some good times with his dad, but for the most part, I don't never really had a grandparent. And Rod Carew is like my surrogate grandparent. He's just telling stories and just a great dude, just spreading joy and fun and love. And I love him. Bless you, Rod Carew. Uh, and then uh, a really big memory for me was on May 1st, right here in Texas. Nolan Ryan of the Texas Rangers, who was uh, somebody our lives seemed to revolve around. Not just being from Texas, but just me and my friend Steve. Uh, our hero worship of Nolan Ryan knew no boundaries. It's all we talked about. We we, when we played Super Nintendo, we played the Nolan Ryan game, along with the King Griffey one, of course. And he threw, if you can believe it, an unprecedented seventh no-hitter. Uh, he struck out Roberto Alomar for the final out and the 3-0 victory over the Toronto Blue Jays, which is great because they're kind of like our rivals. And and that kind of only increased later, of course, with um, uh, Ruth Nedodor, of course, and that asshole that flipped the bat and all that shit. Uh, I remember this greatly, and I remember that my stepdad, Bill, worked at Tarrant Printing, which was a bindery, and they're the ones that printed the seventh no-hitter, uh, I guess, like kind of like commemorative thing, and he was so proud to bring a couple of those home for me, which I still have, and that was a great, great memory for me um, to know that, and what was funny was I didn't actually see it on TV or even watch or hear it on the radio like I normally would. I guess I was doing something else that day, and and uh, the next, like, and it was like a night shift. I remember, like, he he would go to work at night and come home. And when he came home in the morning, when I woke up, there was this thing. So, like, how I was informed that Nolan had thrown yet another no hitter, and how cool is that? Just so late in life and late in his career, like. Number two, keep in mind, is Sandy Koufax at four. So the fact he's almost doubled it and had 11 one-hitters. I mean, just there will never be another. 
that I woke up to find out that not only Nolan had thrown another no-hitter, but the commemorative thing the, was sitting on the coffee table for me. So what a what a great, cool thing uh, to, to, to have happened. And something happened that same day that I very much well was well aware of because I remember watching this game that day. I think it was like a day game. There's always been some this, this connection somehow between Nolan Ryan and Ricky Henderson. I mentioned earlier when Nolan threw his 5,000 strikeout that me and Steve in 89 were listening to on the radio that August. His 5,000 strikeout, of course, was Ricky Henderson. Well, that day... Ricky Henderson, playing for the for the Oakland Athletics, records his 939th stolen base, and that's when he broke Lou Brock's record. I remember Lou Brock and his family were in attendance there to cheer him on, and with good you know spirits and sportsmanship and all that great stuff. So that's a that's such a great 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 memory for me. The A's having come from behind. A three, a one-nothing deficit. Ricky goes. A pitch taken. He's going to have it. He does. Ricky Henderson, no contest, steals third base, jerks the bag from its moorings, and holds it aloft, representing number 939. Ricky pounds it with his left fist, hands it to equipment manager Frank Sinchek, who gives him a big hug as Ricky's mom. Again, talking about the uh, game <laughs> being forgotten. <laughs> and Lou Brock, probably the happiest guy on the field right now. He can finally make his speech, pass over the record to Ricky, and go about his business. Well, he's already out there. They've got a presentation table out there. Took a long time, huh? First of all, I would like to thank God for giving me that opportunity. I want to thank the Haas family, the Oakland organization, the city of Oakland, and all y'all beautiful fans for supporting me. First of all, I would like to thank my mom, my family, friend, and loved one for their support. I want to give my appreciation to the late Tom Trevorhan and the late Billy Martin. Billy Martin was a great manager. He was a great friend to me. I love you, Billy. I wish he was here. Luke Brock was the symbol of great base stealing. But today, I'm the greatest of all time. Thank you. And in back to February of 1991, in the world of comic books, Amazing Spider-Man number 344, and I remember getting that off the spinner rack, was the first appearance of Cletus Cassidy, who of course later becomes the supervillain Carnage. And that was a big deal. 
And uh, again, of course, you know, Venom has spawned and, and now he's Carnage. And in the spirit of things that are that we're still loving and, and maybe even just, just now discovering. Uh, also that February, uh, that same that same day, uh, New Mutants 98 comes out and this introduces Deadpool. Uh, obviously Domino and Gideon to the world, but of course, you know, Deadpool has his own line of movies and and stuff that people are just now getting into. I mean, like 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 there are people that are massive Deadpool fans that didn't know who Deadpool was five years ago. That started in 1991. Uh, and sadly, that July, with issue 80, the original Transformers uh, was canceled by Marvel Comics. And I was very, very sad about that. Of course, I'm an 80s kid. I grew up, with, of course, with G.I. Joe and the Transformers. G.I. Joe, of course, being my... my main and constant and they've brought back transformers since then with you know generation one and two but you know and he and but they didn't do it the way they did it with gi joe which i don't know if they've ever done anything the way they've done it with gi joe was that of course when gi joe ended in 95 they brought back larry hama in 2010 and kept the number like they ended with 155 larry kicks back in 15 years later and starts it with 156 actually with even a fun issue in between with 155 and a half and still going strong and kicking ass today so it's like it, you know you still have it in your life that didn't happen with transformers and again like i said i don't know that that's happened with any other comic which is such a blessing that i have larry like every month now i still have larry hama gi joe comic to read and look forward to just like i did when i was i was a kid in 82 and 92 and now pretty soon 2022 if you can believe it but yeah so the transformers uh comic ended with issue 80 and I, i'm still trying to get all those together 30 years later okay so now we're in the home stretch now now we're getting into november a couple of movies that are legendary that came out in november of 1991 of course was cape fear who can forget Robert De Niro's just unbelievably frightening turn in that? And it's a movie that people still talk about and reference all the time. And and then on, on the other complete side of the coin uh, was Disney's Beauty and the Beast. I can remember years later in 1995 when I was working at um, <clears throat> excuse me when I was working at Blockbuster Video. There was I guess you could say she was my boss, but I think I was older than her. <laughs> Her name was was Andrea, and she was very awkward and very strange, but also very nice and very cool. And she also would 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 take me home at night. I, didn't have, I still didn't have a car at ninety five when I was twenty one, and she didn't have to do that. And I'm grateful to her. And if there's any possible way that Andrea is listening to this, and she even got a speeding ticket one time or some sort of ticket taking me home, and I should have paid for it. And I didn't not, not only did I not have the money to do it, but I didn't have the the presence of mind to make that kind of gesture, and it always bugged me. So Andrea, if you're out there, uh, thank you, and I owe you whatever seventy-five bucks was worth in nineteen ninety-five. Anyway, I but she was obsessed with Disney, and you had to have a movie playing at all, all at all times, you know, for the customers. And for some reason, it was always Beauty and the Beast, where I had this the audio of that memorized by the end of that year that I worked there. And that was a good time. I have a lot of memories. I'll, I'll, I'll save those for the 1995 episode, but uh, there's a sneak peek for you. Um, let's see here. Uh, a couple, uh, some, some, some good things, and maybe, uh, let's see. 
Uh, and then two massive things happened in November of 1991 for me personally and for the world. Number one was Michael Jackson released the follow-up to Bad with the album Dangerous. And I'm a massive Michael Jackson fan and I'm a supporter and believer uh, of, of him and, and his life and legacy. And I'm a protector of him. I, and I'm, I'm so glad to see that finally some truth has come. I just wish he had lived to see it. Um, but in 19, but all that bullshit aside, and this is long before all that crap, in 1991 when he dropped Dangerous with a black and white video and Macaulay Culkin and Slash on guitar, I love that whole record, man. Like, I love it so much. In the Closet and Jam and, of course, the singles Remember the Time, Black and White. Uh, it was just a, just a great time because at the same time it was kind of like, you know, here's Nirvana. Um you know, fuck off, <laughs> uh, you know, Michael Jackson came hard. And again, of course, you know, Nirvana was ultimately the one to, you know, to knock the king of pop. You hear that so much. He would, Nirvana was the one who knocked the king of pop off the charts. Like, like, he, like they walked over to his house or something and, and like slapped him around or something. I always, I've always hate that, but I understand what, the, what they mean in terms of the changing of the guard, but Nirvana did not end Michael Jackson's career. I, I assure you. And his legacy other than that, that crap, uh, but musically is untouchable. And I'm glad to see that it's being restored in, in, in some way. Um, I also, and speaking of Nirvana, just a few weeks uh, before this, Nirvana came to, here to Dallas for probably the most notorious show of that tour, one of the most notorious of, of their entire career, one of the most notorious this city has ever seen or heard, and maybe one of the, one of the most notorious ever. Now, I wish I could claim that I was there, but I wasn't. I was only 17. You had to be 18 to get in. And I wish I could tell you that, like, you know, I tried to get in and I stood outside and listened. No, I, again, like I said before, we were lucky to have heard about the Clash of the Titans show in May with all of our favorite bands at a giant amphitheater. You know how I was going to hear about some this new band at this. I had never even been to Deep Ellum, of course, because yeah, I, I think I might have heard of Deep Ellum maybe at this point, maybe not, not even. Um, I did eventually go to, to to Deep Ellum pretty much shortly after this, so maybe I did have heard of Deep Ellum, but it wasn't like a place that I, I couldn't wait to visit, and it just uh, you know. Um, shortly later on, it became this kind of you know mythological kind of thing. Of like, man, we're, you know, we're cool. We go to Deep Ellum and, and all that. But uh, even now to this day, I dread when I have to go down there. But anyway, um, but yeah, so they did the show at Trees. Every, what, what can I say about it? There's an entire chapter in every Nirvana book. Of, this is called Dallas. So you find it. You look it up. Go on YouTube. Look up Nirvana Dallas. But if you're thinking like, oh, is that the one where he jumps out into the audience and and the, uh, the bouncer, a uh, guy named Turner Van Blarkham, who's probably telling this story somewhere on a bar stool somewhere, uh, and he whacks uh, Turner in the fucking head, and then Turner whacks him in the fucking, in the back of the head. So um, it was just, the reason why it is important, because it illustrates something, that, that by the time they had booked that tour, I'm sorry, from the time they booked that tour, until the date of the show, Nirvana Mania had happened. So yeah, like they were probably a band that could have played a place that played 400 when they booked the show back in whatever June or July before Nevermind came out. But by the time Nevermind had come out in September, it's now 
you know, a month later in October, they literally could have played a place 10 times the size of it. The place was just hemorrhaging. And from what I understand, there was there was hemorrhaging out, out into the streets on the outside and all that. So something was going to have to give. And it also represents, like I said, there's this, this kind of this tearing of, of ideals. And that was happening. We are here. We are young. These are the are the are the flag bearers that are going to lead us into the next charge. So it was much more than a concert. It was almost political in nature in terms of 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 a of a, a flag planting, if you will. You know, people didn't necessarily go to that show because they like the way that dude sings and plays guitar. No, it was like well, we have to be there because our stance on whatever and it's the the place to be and the cool thing and we want to say we were there but also i i want to be part of this this movement and this gang and therefore this is this is the town hall meeting so it was already tense and so when and then something was going to give and boy did it it gave i guess you would say we're going to take a quick break and be right back with more tricky kid radio while we take a short break, let me assure you this isn't an ad you can afford to skip. Simply be entranced by my voice so you can hear from these great sponsors. And now, back with more Tricky Kid Radio. Once again, your host, Roy Turner. Hey folks, Steve Vai here in sunny Southern California, and you are listening to Roy Turner on Tricky Kid Radio, so turn it up. But now by November... Uh, something else happens that is instrumental uh, in my life and something that I'll always carry with me and that, that shaped a lot of things to come. Uh, I really kind of had like my first job. And you know, and who ca- you know, a lot of people are like, well, who cares? You know, you get your first job at Tasty Freeze when you're 16 and you work it that summer and whatever. This is a little bit different for me because everything seems to be a little bit different where I'm concerned. Uh, in November, I began working at Burger King, and this was in Hearst, Texas, and it's a little bit more involved because here's how it happens. Again, this wasn't just like I went and walked down the street and got a job at the local Tasty Freeze around the corner. I mentioned throughout this show my friend Chris Todd, and this was his brother, Corey, who worked there, and Chris actually worked across the street I, would, I guess you would say to the west of, of the of the Burger King restaurant and uh, at like a grocery store called Skaggs Alpha Beta which became Albertsons and went through a, a million different names while he worked there and the two of them lived with uh, his mom and stepdad on the on the other side of the freeway like literally across the street in an apartment over there so suddenly like my this is where my whole life was because I Worked there with Corey, and we would work there at night from like 6 p.m. to like 1 a.m. And then Chris would get off around the same time, and then he would walk across the street, meet us, and then the three of us would walk under the freeway bridge over to the apartment and stay up all night probably playing Super Nintendo and Maximum Carnage and NBA Jam and usually Street Fighter and whatever it was. And uh, that is just such a big, big, big chapter of my life. And again, most people work at jobs like that for a summer or a season or even a couple of months. And I worked there for two years. So ages 17 to 19. Um, let's see here. Um, golly, actually, yeah, I guess, yeah, 17 to 19. 
Uh, and then while I was there working there uh, late at night, there would be this guy that would come in. You ever like drive by like a Wendy's or a, or a Burger King or something, and then you see like the place is closed and there's nobody in there, but there's that one car there. Well, it's because back then at least they would outsource this and it would be like this like night janitor guy or whatever. And usually those guys are, I'm not trying to stereotype anybody, but usually like, you know, older dudes. Well, in this case, this was a guy in his late 20s, about 10 years older than I was. And uh, he was wearing an Arkansas Razorbacks, I guess, like jersey, like, I don't know, like I remember like a hoodie or something. And I was like, hey, man, and kind of find out he's from Conway. His name was John. Uh, he was an absolute Rush fanatic, uh, a comic collector. And we just seemed to just jive and he and he, soon after we became inseparable and uh and next thing you know like again we're going to you know comic shows together and collecting comic books and he's turning me on to a lot of really cool stuff and um and really you know chris adcock was kind of the one who turned me back on to rush but now this guy was like a rush dude you know what i mean and uh and we ended up seeing Rush a bunch of times and even traveling around Texas to see Rush and and all that great stuff. So that was 1991 was the year I started that job, the year I met my friend John. I talk about that a little bit in my Neil Peart film. Uh, unfortunately, uh, John and I, I talk about this a bit in my Neil Peart fil uh, film, like I mentioned, uh, that I did as a tribute to, to Neil Peart in three parts, which I hope you'll we'll see uh on our youtube channel and uh lots of great guests on that one anyway i talk about you know just a little bit because i mean how could i not talk about rush and my rush fandom and my journey to rush without including him and how we met and and that was just such a special time for me unfortunately john and i for whatever reason we lost touch um golly it's sad to say but almost 20 years ago i guess it was around 2004 and um and yeah, I get I'm gonna get a lot of pleasure because he's also a, ma a massive King's X fan, and so I I hope that he's he's keenly aware uh, that there's a King's X movie docu series or whatever the hell the, it, it is gonna be eventually when this thing comes out, and he's gonna see it and go by Roy Turner. It can't be. Well, yes, it can, my friend. Anyway, so whatever. I don't know why, but uh, I miss my friend John, and I wish him the best. And uh, John, if for whatever odd reason you're listening, cheers, brother. Thank you, man. That was a big year for me, and I and I miss you. And uh, I hope that uh, you'll check out the King's X thing, and you'll show up at a screening, and we'll have some great reunion or or not, whatever. It's cool. Um. So let's see here. So now we're getting into the final month of 1991 30 years later man uh okay so a couple of things where i mentioned like the you know i keep saying a lot you know like how nirvana was like the jfk moment like where were you in well guess what oliver stone's uh jfk film the four hour thing that's fantastic um probably the only time i've ever been to the movie theater where i can remember whether it was like an intermission at least that was the first time um, was JFK. So Oliver Stone was a big deal. He released The Doors and JFK that year. It's just what a what a massive undertaking that must have been to do, you know, those period, let alone both in the same year. And also Fried Green Tomatoes. Who doesn't love that movie? And maybe the food itself. Um, 
And that's a movie. I think it was maybe Julia Roberts' debut, I think. I, I'm not a big fan of hers, but I know that she's beloved. And that movie's beloved, and it should be. I, I really love that movie. Or am I thinking of Mystic Pizza? No, Fried Green Tomatoes. I remember that movie. It's good, <laughs> I guess. Anyway, uh, and a couple other things I remember that December, of course, you know, besides getting my Super Nintendo for Christmas, which was one of those great, you know, the year we got our bikes kind of thing, was I remember now firmly we had now were living in North Richland Hills again because uh again because again you know obviously working at Burger King was in Hearst down the, down the road there so I think that this was somewhere around October or November is when we moved to North Richland Hills and I immediately you know then go I got to get a job and all that and you know Corey already had one he could get me in and um but uh I remember uh, that after seeing the Survivor series, because that was like back then. I, I didn't, we didn't have like cable or the ability to do like you know pay per view and stuff. And, and we did have cable, and and I was seeing used to I would see these pay per views like months later or not at all. And they were gonna have, and I don't, I'm not sure. I watched the Survivor series, but just like a few, like I think it was like a week later. Which was crazy because normally the pay-per-views were seasonal. You know, they were they were three or four months apart. There was this thing called the Tuesday in Texas pay-per-view, and uh, they, and you know, wow, they're gonna have a pay-per-view on a Tuesday, and it's gonna be in Texas. And I think it was like in San Antonio, and it was based around uh, the Undertaker. I remember it was like a, a big Undertaker storyline there. And I was reading up on it to do this show, and apparently it didn't do too well. <laughs> And I remember it was only like 10 bucks and I was asking my mom if I could order it and she said, yeah, and it was just neat. And it was like Tuesday night and I'm, you know, watching this pay-per-view and it was so exciting. And, and, uh, and that was, my mom was, my mom has always been very cool about that kind of stuff. And, uh, it's odd to think that just as big of a fan as I was just literally six months later, even less after that mass, that, you know, 92 Royal Rumble and then WrestleMania eight, I was really out of wrestling for almost an entire decade. I had this whole, well, I'm 18 now, but anyway, I'll talk about that next year on the 92 episode, but anyway, and then for the rest of the world, uh, this young lady makes her television debut. From Kentwood, Louisiana, here is 10-year-old Brittany Spears. No. Yep, that was the first peek we got at, at old Brittany. Uh, and a lot of things, of course, are going on with her right now. I think every week there's a new documentary, and you probably, of course, have seen the Free Brittany uh, movement. And I'm glad to see that she's finally getting out from underneath that conservatorship. And I know a lot of people, you know, again, have time to dedicate their entire life or, or whatever activism energy they have to that. And they're at the courthouse, and good for them, and all that. Um, again, I can't really <laughs> dedicate uh, too much uh, to that, but I, I am aware of the case, and I am a fan of hers. I, I'm, I'm actually a, a, a committed Britney fan. I, I saw her Vegas show. I took my sister's friend Tony to uh, the very first tour. I, I, um, I think I saw the first three tours. Yeah, and then again the Vegas show and all that. Um, 
and I know her albums and love it and everything else. But just even if you're not into that, you and you are aware. And how could you not? Because it's been such such big news of what's been going on with this conservatorship. It just seems just so fucked up. It seems like you know that that stage parent gone gone too far. But also, it just seems like. You know, we all kind of know that person, especially in the South. You know what I mean? There's that that possessive dad that becomes just a not only just a little nuts, but like legitimately nuts. And and then there's the money thing, and and ugh, the whole thing is just fucking messy. And uh, I've watched a couple, at least I've tried to watch a couple of those documentaries. You know, just because I was curious or had some extra time. But anyway, free Britney. I'm glad that that's happening for her. Uh, and there's a couple other people that that uh, that join the world that year that are now a part of popular culture of course you know tyler the creator he celebrates a 30th birthday this year and uh, willa holland who i really loved her on gossip girl and i know there's now a reboot god that's so long ago that there's now a already a freaking reboot of gossip girl i haven't seen it yet i love the first one so much of course and of course taylor momson has gone on to be in one of my favorite bands with a pretty reckless and all that and my sister was even telling me there's a wonder years reboot i haven't seen that yet it looks interesting i'm, I'm definitely going to check that out but and then we had to say goodbye to uh to a lot of other different people of course danny thomas uh the beloved michael landon from little house on the prairie uh burt convy like I said, my dad was a big my dad's a big game show guy so that's how i know who burt convy is uh my favorite movie of all time is it's a wonderful life and that's such a big deal in in, in this house and growing up with you know and it's just a language that we speak the very very first guest time i ever did a podcast was with a wrestler diamond dallas page and it's his favorite film and that's all we did so when i see dallas now we just I, we just toss it's a Wonderful Life lines at each other. And of course, the creator of that film, the legendary Frank Capra, died in 1991. And a couple other massive, of course, major heavyweights uh, kept happening. Of course, Red Fox, the legendary comic, of course, and comedian from, uh, of course, obviously from Sanford and Son, which sadly died of a heart attack. And a lot of people didn't thought he was kidding because he was clutching his chest like his gimmick. And people were probably teasing him going, you know, what do you say? That's really going to happen to you. And, you know, and it did. And that's just terrible because, you know, I love Red and and that shouldn't really happen to anybody. Uh, the legendary, of course, Gene Roddenberry, the creator from Star Trek. Um, I just saw George Takai at Fan Expo Dallas. He's always a pleasure and uh, to talk to and be around. And then, of course, Queen's Freddie Mercury. Um announced that he had HIV and that were really entered the consciousness of America of course with Ma Magic Johnson earlier that year and I and it was just crazy how he announced it and I think he passed away I think literally the next day it was like oh no Freddie had you know has this this scary horrible thing we've been hearing about and then it seemed like the next day that he was gone and last but not least how did I end how did I end this Okay, so how did I end this legendary year? How did I do it? This 1991, this pivotal year that I turned 17. I wish I could tell you that because of now the formation of Anorexic Cafe and I'm meeting all these you know, new, different, and exciting people in the world of music and in our community that led me to actually to go. Uh, you know, I missed the Nirvana show at the trees, but man, 
it led me that December to seeing the toadies open for my beloved helmet, which I would not have heard again until about a year later. And ring in the new year with this legendary show with the toadies and helmet that some people that I know still kind of lord over my head. That did not happen. <laughs> in fact, nothing close like that happened. The next year it did. It took me a year. Uh, but on this year, unfortunately, oh my goodness, um, I've mentioned two people throughout this entire show and I can't believe what a role they played in this year. This is now looking back on it going, God, how did they play such a big role in my life? Of course, I know how I'm just teasing, but number one, as I mentioned about Chris Smith, again, the guy who made me, uh, talked me into camping out for the Clash of the Titans tickets and to drink, uh, vodka with fucking pickle juice or whatever the hell it was. And of course, my good my good buddy Steve, uh, and now uh, basis for anorexic cafe and all that, but still as antisocial as it, as, as it gets. Um, Chris Smith's family had this, I guess, this property um, way out past the city limits, and it was kind of this lawlessness. And uh, the reason why was because um, his dad was a meth dealer who is, uh, the last I heard, has been still sitting in prison for uh, for drug trafficking for, I guess, the better part of the last 20-plus years. That, that I can't confirm. Um, but anyway, uh, so he had this big, you know, just area out there, um, it was like kind of like a trailer, but then there was like, you know, that house that's got like all those uh, vehicles. Like there's for some reason, there's a school bus that's like sinking into the ground and all that kind of shit. And we, it would be so great, man. We'll go out there and ring in the new year. No fireworks, nothing. Like, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't know. how. I have no idea how I was. I mean, I love Steve and still do. I've, I've been trying to get him on this fucking show for the especially for the, for the specific uh, episode, so he could share some memories as well. But what the fuck were we doing at Chris Smith's house? And he had some little camper thing out in this fucking you know nowhere land. And I remember we were watching the ball drop. And getting high. Like, that was all it seemed to matter. And I don't know why I was so under Steve's thumb. Like, I was, like, almost, like, afraid to to displease him. He wanted me to be there. And and and, and to be honest, what other options did I have? Did I really have the option of, like, I, I turned down. Like, hey, want to come see Helmet? Oh, no, man. I'm going to go out to Christmas's fucking drug speed meth lab and, um, and waste the night away. What else was I going to do? I didn't have a car. You just kind of follow the pack, you know, so I have to kind of forgive myself for that, but I still have to also have to make some fun fun out of it. And uh, let's see. Okay. But again, I digress. And I'm just like, I remember us watching the ball drop and we were, let's get high, man. You know, like it seemed like it's all that mattered as long as we, you know, to them at least. Um we can go somewhere and be alone and like get fucked up whatever man I, what a waste golly um but again it wasn't like i had like again like i turned down some better uh you know uh, you know like i was fielding a bunch of offers anyway uh i remember we were watching it and i guess it occurred to steve even that okay 
we we need to do something here like we we need like what could we do and i remember like as we're like passing this joint he says it was steve's idea he goes okay everybody take one last drag and we're gonna run out of this little fucking tool shed camper thing and we're gonna run out of here and we're gonna scream fuck you it's 92 and how can you forget that right and that sounded fun and exciting for you know about five minutes but but still fun and exciting and, and hey I remember it and that's all that matters and we're talking about it 30 years later and suddenly let's do it you know kind of like you know now you know we're all energized and we go bursting out of this little camper thing and we go running off into the last night of 1991 welcoming the, the unbidden into the air fuck you it's 1992 <laughs> and i did that with uh chris smith and steve ainsworth good times All right, all right, all right. Who do I sound like? Again, that was 1991. Thank you so much for listening. It was such a blast to take this stroll down memory lane. And uh, I hope you learned something. I hope you learned a few things about me, maybe about yourself and reflection. Tell me your favorite memories of 1991. What do you remember about that? What, what Were you in high school? Were you... Were you older? Were you younger? What do you remember? What what sticks out to you? Write to me. Uh, go to trickykid.com. It's tricky-kid.com. Or hit me up on social media. I'm on Instagram underneath DJ Tricky Kid. Under Twitter underneath Tricky Kid the number two. Facebook under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. Uh, and God, wherever else I am, <laughs> I'm not hard to find. So... Anyway, uh, again, I, I appreciate you listening. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun for me, reliving a lot of this and remembering stuff and kind of seeing things in a, in a different light and for the first time in, in many ways and also remembering uh, a lot of things that I hadn't thought about in a long time. So anyway, we're going to do it again. Uh, we'll do uh, 1992 uh, uh, next year, probably before October. But we do have 1981, so let's take it back even 10 years before this, uh, and we'll be bringing that to you next week. Again, don't forget the the special with Eddie Van Halen's Diver Down. That'll be a special bonus episode uh, you definitely want to tune into. And keep rocking, man. We've got John Zazula, the legendary founder of Megaforce Records, and a bunch of other stuff uh, starting off this season. Happy October, everybody. I'm excited for the fall season, and we'll see you next week. Next week on Tricky Kid Radio. This has been a presentation of Tricky Kid Media Originals, distributed by iHeartRadio, created and directed by Roy Turner, edited and mastered by Marcus Miller, theme music by The Buck Pets, original score by Jocelyn Hunt, artwork by Antora Sandy, marketing and PR by Francesca Miles. Tricky Kid Radio is hosted by Roy Turner with introductions by me, Dana French. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week.